you. All right, Revelation, we're going to pick up in verse 13 uh, before we get into it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. I thank you for the foundations of faith class this morning and all those that showed up. May you minister to their hearts. And Lord, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, as we look at Satan and the Antichrist, things that the world talks about but doesn't understand. And Lord, I pray we'd leave her with a clear understanding. We're thankful, Lord, in the end, we know that you win. You are a faithful God. In Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. So I know that the enemy doesn't want me to teach, so I don't want to over-spiritualize stuff, but I was up all night with cramping in my legs. And you know, when that happens, I have, you know, when I played football in college, there was a reason for that. Now I'm just an old guy. That shouldn't be happening, Right. But it was, I almost called Joshua in the middle of the night, and I said, you know what? I'm teaching on the Antichrist. I'm showing up. We're doing this. Amen? <laughs> so we're going to have church. So Revelation is not a difficult book to understand. It's one of the only books in the Bible that has its own divine outline found in chapter 1, verse 18, 19. It talks about the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. Chapter 1, the things that already existed, of course, Jesus in heaven. As we know, he's no longer a baby in a manger. He's no longer a savior on a cross. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. We see a picture of him. And again, I would encourage you to read Revelation 1. Chapter 2, the things which are. That's where we are right now. That This time is called the what age? The church age. So it's a letter to the seven churches. It talks about the church. The church is mentioned 19 times in the letter to these seven churches. At the end of chapter three, we see John being called up. The word there in, in Greek is harpazo. In Latin, it's rapturo. It's where we get the word for the rapture. And now he has a heavenly view of what's going to take place from chapter 4 all the way to chapter 19. And during that time, we never see the church mentioned again. That's why I believe that we will be raptured again before the tribulation starts. There are believers that would disagree with that, and that's okay. It's not a uh, form of salvation, but to me, it's so clear. Now, in chapter 4 and 5, we saw the heavenly perspective that John gave us that there were elders around the throne singing praise songs. They, the 24 elders cast the crowns before the Lord. Again, there's a rainbow around the throne, reminder of his promises. When we get to chapter six, moving forward, we see God's righteous judgment upon an unbelieving and rebellious world that has denied Jesus as their savior. So as we see the righteous judgment of God, remember that he suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And that he desires that none should perish, no, not one. But because he is a holy God, he will righteously judge sin. Amen? Now, last week in Revelation 12, we looked at the sign of the times. And in chapters 12, 13, and 14, we see the main players, if you will, in the end times. We looked at three of them last week. First of all, the woman. Who does that represent? Okay, the child. Who's that? And the dragon, who's that? Okay. And now this morning, we're going to take a look at the beast, the Antichrist. He's got a lot of other names, son of perdition. We'll see this as we go through it. I've got a lot of notes. We'll see how far we get into chapter 13. But before we do that, we want to finish up chapter 12. And I want to give you some 
preparation for that because chapter 12, the end of it, we're going to see that uh, the way it ended last week, that Satan was cast out of heaven again. Now remember, he was cast out of heaven and we talked about it. It was in chapter 12 last week. He was thrown out of heaven with a third of the angels when he tried to overthrow God in heaven. But this time in the end times, he's going to be removed from heaven where he has no more access to God. He will never have access to God again. He will never be able to accuse the brethren again. And when he's thrown down onto the earth, this is where we're going to pick up this morning. And when he's thrown back on the earth, he's going to be angry. He knows that his time is short and he's going to attack Israel, the woman. He's also going to attack those believers who've converted to Christ during the great tribulation. Now, I want to say this. I want to make this as clear as I possibly can. Anti-Semitism is demonic, satanic, ungodly, and we must stand up against it. Can I get an amen to that? Satan, again, you look at all the people throughout, you know, we, we talk about different people groups that have been mistreated, and certainly there are many. But nobody has dealt with greater persecution than the Jews. Amen? And do you know why? Because Jesus was going to come through the line of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the line of David. It was his, God's ultimate plan. Satan knew it. He's been trying to wipe the Jews off the face of the planet ever since Israel became a nation. You go all the way back to Herod. Remember King Herod after Jesus was born? I believe it was totally satanic influence where he went out and wanted to kill all the babies under the age of two because he was trying to kill the Messiah. Here's the good news. You can't kill our God. Amen? We also see as we go through, and I just went to this. I want to encourage you if you've not done this. I saw something similar in Israel, but I went to the Auschwitz exhibit at the Reagan Library with my wife this week, and it's sobering when you see... Hitler, you want to talk about demonic Hitler. Can I get an amen to that? And you see this just hatred, and they've done nothing. Why are they hated? They're hated because they're God's chosen people. Now, all this gets a little confusing because they're God's chosen people, and as a nation right now, they're in open rebellion against God. Amen? They have blinders on their eyes. Now, we know that, first of all, when people talk to me about this, I always tell them, you do know this is a Jewish book written about Jew by Jewish people about a Jewish Savior, right? Amen? And we're pro-Israel because God's pro-Israel. But the nation, as we speak, we met in a synagogue in Calabasas. I would meet with the rabbi frequently, super nice guy. When I asked him what happens when you die, he said, I don't know. I said, Really? He goes, some of our church believes in, re not church, our synagogue believes in reincarnation. Some of our synagogue believes you just go into the ground and die. And I'm like, why do you even have synagogue if that's what you believe? Amen. So, but the good news is God's not done with Israel. And there's a promise that the Lord makes that when he comes back, he will come back to greet Israel. And we know that will take place in some of the coming chapters when that great last war takes place in Armageddon, Harmageddon. So I never have a hard time. My outline I had a hard time. My outline this morning being super transparent. And so I tell the message last day's enemy who tried to thwart God's plan. First, we're going to see Satan, Satan, the dragon, 
And we're going to see this about him. After he loses access to heaven and knows his time is short, he's going to attack Israel and all converted believers with all that he has. Again, as I mentioned, anti-Semitism is satanic. And from Abraham till the last days, Israel was a part of God's plan. We know that, of course, Jesus, the Messiah and the Redeemer came through Israel. And again, Jesus promised that the Jewish people would exist and welcome him when he returns in his glory. And again, remember that we looked at this, we're going to look at this again next week, uh, the week after probably, because we'll finish chapter 13 next week, we'll be in 14 the week after, but we're going to see the 144,000, right? The 12,000 of each of the 12 uh, tribes of Israel, I call them 144,000 Jewish Billy Grahams. And so they're going to be witnessing, people are going to be getting saved. There's going to be, I believe, millions of Jewish people get saved. They're going to be duped by the Antichrist, and we'll talk about that. Not only do we, are we going to look at Satan, we'll see if we get to verse 4 or not. We're also going to look at the beast or the Antichrist. I wasn't even going to get into chapter 13 because the whole chapter is about the Antichrist, but I want to give you a little view, picture of him. And then next week, we'll go through all the rest of chapter 13, however far we, we get today. We'll just pick up from there. And it's a chapter about the Antichrist. Now, I want to say I want to, right off the bat, Antichrist does not mean the opposite of Christ. It's in place of Christ. He's trying to take the place of Jesus. He wants people to worship him. He wants to be the Messiah and the Savior of the world. And he's actually going to set up a, a statue, an image of himself, and people are going to worship it. People are going to worship him. We may get to it in, in the verse this morning uh, where he is struck down and, and gets a, a major head injury. And most people believe he's, he actually dies and he raises from the dead. Again, trying to imitate who? Jesus. So the Antichrist is not the opposite of Christ. It's in place of Christ. And that's a warning for all of us. The Bible talks about the spirit of Antichrist. And the spirit of Antichrist is anything that tries to take the place of Christ in your life. Amen? And the Bible says you're either for me or you're against me. So if it's not for Christ, then it's Antichrist. Amen? And we're going to see that today as we look at this picture again of these last days and these battles that take place. I wrote there underneath point number two, Satan's plan has always been to get the world to serve him instead of the Lord. There is a spirit of antichrist. Every false religion, spirit of antichrist. Every cult, spirit of antichrist. Amen? Because what are they trying to do? Take the place of Christ. Anything that says there is another way, anything that adds to or takes away from the gospel is the spirit of antichrist. Amen? Now, it's not the antichrist. It'll ultimately be fulfilled in him. The Antichrist will be the last dictator. He will be possessed by set, Satan, not demon-possessed, Satan-possessed. He's literally going to be under the control of Satan. One of his names, as we will see, is the son of perdition. The only other person that was given that name because Satan entered him, who knows? Judas. Judas was filled not with the demon, but with Satan when he betrayed our Savior. So that's that same name will be given also to the Antichrist. Again, 
The Antichrist will be possessed by Satan. He will have great power and authority. He will be worshipped by the world. And people will have to take the mark of the beast to buy and sell. And those who do not take the mark of the beast will be executed. Again, he will be mortally wounded and healed. And again, in the end, he will be thrown into the lake of fire. Because again, God will not be mocked. Amen? So let's begin there looking at Revelation chapter 12, picking up in verse 13. As we know that Satan has just been sent out of heaven. He cannot accuse the brethren anymore. He's been cast down to the earth. He has no access to almighty God. And now he's got, he knows his time is short and we're going to see him turn up the persecution of Israel and the people that have been redeemed during the great tribulation. Look at verse uh, 13 of chapter 12. Now when the dragon, who's the dragon? Now when the dragon saw that he had been cast to the earth, he persecuted the woman. Who's the woman? Israel. And who gave birth to the male child. And who's that? Okay. So last week's text ended with Satan being thrown out of heaven. Remember Michael, the archangel defeated the dragon, Satan and his demons. Remember it was an actual battle that took place. Michael, remember again, Satan's not the opposite of God. He's nowhere near God. He's toast compared to God. He can't compare to God. If he's the opposite of anybody, it would be Michael, the archangel, the leader of the angels. So the leader of the angels who are honoring to God and the demons who rejected God and walked away from God and were cast out of heaven, go into this battle and praise the Lord as we know God's angels win. Amen? So the battle's been won and he is lost. And yet again, he's being thrown out of heaven. And again, it says there's a loud voice in heaven and saying, salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ have come. They've overcome Satan by the blood of the lamb and the word of the testimony. If you were not here last week, I don't encourage you to go online and watch that. How do we overcome Satan? Through what Jesus did on the cross and the word of our testimony, confessing that Jesus Christ is Lord. Amen. So we overcome the enemy, we overcome sin and death, we overcome being separated from God because of what Jesus did for us on the cross and the fact that we have confessed our sin and asked him not to just be Savior, but Lord of our lives. We've surrendered our life to him. So by the blood of the lamb and the word of our testimony, again, that heart of repentance. So we see here that the dragon saw he'd been cast out and he persecuted the woman. So he's going to persecute Israel. Now the dragon's frustrated. He's enraged by his ejection from heaven and desperately knowing that he has again only a short time left to oppose God's plan before he's going to be incarcerated in the abyss for all eternity. We'll see that in Revelations 20. He will be after the end of the millennial kingdom, he will be loosed for a time. For those people who, get, uh, who live through the millennial reign, it is normal human beings, not us, after we come back from heaven, and they will have to choose between God and the enemy, and that will be his last opportunity. But in the meantime, he will be incarcerated. He will be chained up, and he will have no access to us. Now, why does Satan attack the Jewish people? Why have the Jews faced more persecution than any group in all of human history? And like I said, it, I was in tears several times at that Auschwitz exhibit. You see little, they, had, they, take, they took uh, 
almost like mug shots of only the ones who made it. A lot of people were taken straight into the ovens and, and killed. And the ones that made it onto the, lamb, onto the property before they were killed, they took snapshots. And there's these little snapshots of five-year-olds and six-year-olds and little girls and little boys. Boy, it just rips your heart out. And you know, Satan, he just seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. Amen? And Hitler, not a doubt in my mind, if not Satan-possessed, demon-possessed. Amen? And what happens is that there's this hatred towards Israel because the enemy knows that they are the chosen people. He's the cast-out fallen angel, and they're the chosen people, so he hates them. And you know what? Satan hates everybody. But he really hates Israel and he really hates us. Why? Because we're born again and we will never bow to him. We will never worship him. We worship the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Almighty, all knowing, all powerful God. We deny him, we reject him, we want nothing to do with him. We will never bow to him. We bow to the true and living King. We've been born again, we've been adopted into his family. We've been given a down payment on heaven in the person of the Holy Spirit. Satan hates you because you will never bow to him. Amen. And praise the Lord. Praise the Lord again for God's grace and mercy toward us. But the reason all the way since Abraham, we've seen the constant attack on the children of Israel because Satan knows God's plan. Now, the one thing about Satan that continues to be stupid is that he thinks still somewhere in the back of his mind, he still might win. Somewhere in there, he thinks, just maybe if I can wipe out all the children of Israel, then it won't fulfill the plan where God says he's going to come back and they're going to greet him when he comes. You know, early on, he thought, if I can kill all the Jews, then the Messiah will never be born. You know, Satan thinks he's winning when he's really losing. He thought his greatest victory was at the cross. And we all know that was God's greatest victory and Satan's greatest defeat. Amen? So, Jesus promised again that he would, the Jewish people would exist and welcome him when he returns in glory to this world. That's the second coming. And Matthew 23 says, 39 says, For I say to you, you shall see me no more till you say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So Satan sought to thwart God's plan at the birth of our, of our Savior. Again, Herod killing all the babies. Thought he thwarted God's plan at the cross and in recent times sought to eliminate the Jews. And again, I'm going to shoot straight with you guys. Here's the deal. Islam, spirit of Antichrist, amen? Do they hate the Jews? What's the answer? Where does that come from? Satan, amen? Muhammad, false prophet. Do you know he married a nine-year-old when he was 54? Do you know that guy that he was a prophet of the sword? Look, do we love the, the Muslims? What's the answer? But you know what? We can love them, but we don't need to tolerate or stand up for any of this nonsense that's contrary to the word of God and is keeping millions of people from coming to know Jesus Christ. Amen? And I've got Muslim customers. I've retired from my job. I still stay in touch with them. One of them has a, a thing of Mecca in his office all the way around. And when he had trouble with his nephew, he asked me to go counsel him. I'm like, you know, I'm talking about Jesus, right? But the reality is, 
that guys, people, we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. Amen? We must not keep it to ourselves. It's not loving to tolerate and let people go to hell without the Lord and sit back and say nothing. Amen? It's demonic. The whole Arab world. Again, people can become Christians out of it. Praise God. Amen? But, we're, but our country, how's our country doing? We've got a spirit. Every, I'll tell you what. Again, shoot straight. Homosexuality, spirit of Antichrist. Adultery, spirit of Antichrist. Fornication, spirit of Antichrist. Amen? Not knowing how many genders there are, spirit of Antichrist. Amen? Evolution, spirit of Antichrist. Anything that denies the way God created us to be or anything that makes a substitute, God created us, not evolution. Not the good of the zoo to you. God made you in his image. Amen? God created you. One man with one woman for a lifetime. God created marriage. It's spirit of Antichrist that attacks marriage. Amen? The fact that God created us male and female, he doesn't make any mistakes. If you are confused about that, my prayer is that God will open your eyes to the truth. We're going to love you through it. But guys, the Lord knows what he's doing. Trust him. Amen? So that spirit of Antichrist is all around us. And we're living in a time where you see more and more stuff that glorifies Satan. Amen? Be careful with the music you listen to. Amen? Let's, be careful how you entertain yourself. So the, pers- the, the persecution of Israel is part of the satanic program to thwart and hinder the work of God. Israel is hated by Satan because, again, not because of its characteristics or the type of people that they are, but simply because God had chosen them. And you know what? God chose us too, so he hates us too. Amen? Now, the flight of the Jews from Satan's forces should not surprise anyone. Remember last week, it talked about the fact that the woman will run, that there will come a time when you don't go back in the house and gather anything up, just flee, just run to the hills. Many people believe they're going to run to Petra, among other places. But if you read Daniel, and by the way, as soon as we're done with Revelation, we're going to go through Daniel, because I don't have time to go through all of Daniel 7 today in the way I probably should, because so much of this ties to Daniel 7. We're going to do it when we get to Daniel 7, right after we finish Revelation. But it says this in Daniel, therefore, when you see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet, standing in the holy place, whoever reads, let him understand. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let he who is in the housetop not go down or take anything out of the house. Let him who is in the field not go back to get his clothes. But woe to those who are pregnant and those who are nursing babies, because it's going to be hard to move quickly, right? To pr- and pray that you, your flight may not be in winter or on the Sabbath. For then there will be a great tribulation such as not been seen since the beginning of the world until this time, nor shall there ever be. And unless those days were shortened, no flesh would be saved. But for the elect's sake, they will be shortened. He's talking about here the abomination of desolation. We'll see it in Daniel halfway through the great tribulation, which is seven years long, three and a half years in. Now keep this in mind. The world is going to be in total chaos. We saw the chaos of COVID and the tribulation makes COVID look like a picnic. Amen. A third of the world's population dying in a single day. 120-pound hailstones falling from the sky, right? Every mountain getting up and moving. How does that work, okay? 
All that stuff is taking place and all of that chaos that's going on in the world is going to have people susceptible for anybody who they think could possibly fix it. They're going to be hungry. They're going to be afraid. They're going to be hiding. They don't have any answers. And then this antichrist, the beast, is going to be raised up, no doubt charismatic, good-looking, having answers, and what will happen is the world will come together and align under this, the Antichrist. And for a while, they will, he will bring solutions. But three and a half years in, he's going to rebuild the temple if it's not already rebuilt. And he's going to go into the temple. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. It's called the abomination of desolation. Make sacrifices, proclaim himself to be God. It's then that the Jews who are living in those days will look upon him and recognize that he is the false prophet, that Jesus is the Messiah, and there will be mass numbers of people getting saved, but also it will become a time where the Antichrist wreaks havoc upon the world. So it's easy to see. Did we see how everybody was panicked during COVID? I shouldn't say everybody. A lot of people were panicked. And if somebody had had an answer or whatever, right? Well, guys, imagine multiplying that times 10,000. And imagine that all the Christians are gone. And the Holy Spirit influence is not here. And everybody's looking for an answer. And that's when this false prophet, this, well, he's not the, there's actually a false prophet too. I have an idea who I think that is. It's going to shake some people up when we get to it. Okay. The only appropriate response to the imminent danger will be to flee immediately. So severe will the peril be that God will intervene for the sake of the elect. So we see here that the dragon saw that he'd been cast down to earth. He's going to persecute the woman who gave birth to the child. And we know that's Israel. Now watch this. But the woman was given two wings of a great eagle that she might fly into the wilderness to her place where she is nourished for times and time a half time for the presence from the presence of the serpent. Now the serpent is also who? We saw last week in one verse, he's called the devil, Satan, the serpent, and the dragon, all the same guy. Now remember that these chapters are sign chapters. I told you in the beginning that we take the book of Revelation literally unless we cannot. Chapters 12, 13, and 14 makes it clear that these are sign chapters. So these things that we see, it's not saying, it says the woman who's given two wings. It's not a woman with wings flying around. It's not. These wings represent some things in scripture. And the woman, again, is Israel. And so God is going to the science, this is a figurative language, symbolically dip, depicts how, how Israel is going to escape from Satan's assault. The striking imagery of the two wings of the great eagle is taken from Exodus 19, where it says this, you yourselves have seen what I did for the Egyptians and how I bore you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. He's telling them that they were able to escape out of Egypt because God was the one who delivered them and brought them out on wings of eagles, if you will say, in an instance, okay? God will bring Israel to safety just as he delivered the nation out of bondage in Egypt. Now, wings in scripture, I'm not gonna go through all of them, but there's a lot of verses. First of all, in Isaiah, it pictures strength. Is our God strong? What's the answer? He is. Now in Isaiah 43, 40, verse 31, it says, but those that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not be faint. Boy, that's a great Bible verse, amen? That we mount up like with wings like we don't get exhausted. We don't get overwhelmed because the Lord is the one who is leading us and we have his strength. It also speaks of them being able to move quickly. It says in 2 Samuel, he rode upon a cherub and flew and he was seen upon the wings of the wind. But most commonly, wings in the Bible speak of protection, God's protection. Here's what it says. Most of these are in Psalms. Psalm 17 says, keep me as the apple of your eye. Hide me in the shadow of your wings. Psalm 36, 7 says, how precious is your loving kindness, O God. And the children of men make refuge in the shadow of your wings. And Psalm 57 says, the shadow of your wings, I will take refuge until destruction passes by. Boy, I like that. Revelation in Psalm 61, let me dwell in your tent forever. Let me take refuge in the shelter of your wings. Psalm 63, for you have been my help and I, and in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. So in the midst of trials, because we're covered by the Lord, this picture here is like the wings of God just covering you in the midst of destruction, covering you in times of grief and great difficulty, and you can rejoice knowing that he has, he's protecting you. Psalm 91.4 says, He shall cover you with the feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. So Satan will turn up his persecution of Israel because she birthed the Messiah, and God's provision of protection of Israel will keep the enemy from destroying them. Notice it said at the end of that verse, he will protect them for a time and times and time and a half. That's three and a half years. So the second half of the tribulation, the children of Israel are going to run from where they were. They're going to be in a place of hiding, if you will, a place of safety. And God is going to protect them and provide for them during those last three and a half years. And I also believe that's when many of them, if not most of them, are going to get saved. So God's not done with Israel. Amen? We must never lose sight of that. Now, some think that the, again, because it's a sign chapter, some think that this could be a mighty air force that moves them. Could be. One thing I will tell you is I saw something radical on one of my trips to Israel. We're in Har Megiddo, Armageddon, and we're up on Mount Carmel, and I'm teaching on Elijah bring fire down from the sky in the place where it took place. Then we're looking out at this a great, it's going to be the last battlefield on earth. And when you look at it, it's massive. And while we were standing there with our guide, this plane came out of nowhere. And literally, they have planes underground. And what happened was something lifted up and this plane looked like it came right out of the ground. And the guide goes, don't see that every day, but yeah, we have planes under the ground. Now, I will say this, it's only... The, the, the nations that surround Israel, first of all, it's a spiritual battle and God's in control. But I truly believe if God let them loose, I think Israel could wipe out all those nations by themselves because God is for them. Amen? Now, so it's talking about the fact that God's going to remove them. God's going to shelter them because, again, God's plan, complete plan, had not been completed. Now, again, they have rebelled against God but they are still God's chosen people. Now look what it says in verse 15. So the serpent, who's that? Spewed out water of his mouth like a flood after the woman, and he might cause her to be carried away by the flood. Now there's, there's a sign chapter, 
So this could be actual water. I tend not to think so. Here's what I think it is. I think it's a mighty army. I think they mount up a huge army. They're coming after Israel. And I mean, the Bible talks about billion men armies, hundred million men armies. These armies are coming after the children of Israel. Satan is behind it. They're all coming toward them. And the good news is God is in control. Amen? He told them to flee. You know why? Potentially in participation that this was coming. Now, again, it could just be water. And I would say in any other chapter, it probably is. But in the sign chapter, maybe not. Now, watch what happens. Look at verse 16. But the earth helped the woman, and the earth opened its mouth and swallowed up the flood, which the dragon had spewed out of his mouth. This reminds me of Mount Sinai. You guys remember that? Moses on the mountain, he comes back down, and what happens? People are called to this, and he opens up the ground and swallows them up. This has precedence in scripture, amen? So this great army could be coming. Is God a great enough God where millions of army guys are coming in force and he could just open up the ground and swallow them all? Could God do that? Did he open up the Red Sea? When Moses held a, a, you know, the, the, the rod in his hand, a staff, and he opens the Red Sea. See, guys, we must not limit our God. No matter how great the enemy may appear, our God is always greater. Amen? Amen? I prayed for this this morning, and some of you may remember him. There's a man by the name of Isaac. He lives up near, like, somewhere like up near San Luis Obispo, I think. And he came all the way down, and he's a blind man, and we baptized him in, in the pool over here. You guys remember that? And he watches every Sunday and every Thursday, and he called me yesterday, and his grandson is in an induced coma, his heart is failing, and he needs a heart transplant or he's not going to make it. And as I'm praying with him and praying for his, mo- the, his grandson's mom, my prayer was always, God, this seems great, but we know that you're greater. Amen? Our God is a great physician, even when it seems like we're outnumbered, even when it seems like there's no answer. You know what? When we trust God, when there is no way, God will make a way. Amen? So I want to encourage you to pray for Reynaldo. Pray for him. Pray for Isaac. Pray that God will get him a heart. And that's hard to pray for because that means someone else has to die and lose their heart. But you know what? If someone's going to die, let the heart be used for Reynaldo. Amen? But pray for them. But the point is, can you imagine being the children of Israel and whether it's a huge flood coming your way or it's a huge army coming your way, can you imagine the blessing when it looks like you're outnumbered and the ground just opens up and swallows it? Does that not want, give you a hallelujah? Can I get amen to that? Do you think people, are, remember, the, remember the army of Egypt's coming against the you know, they're at the Red Sea and the, the, the best army in the world is coming against them, the Egyptians in chariots. And they're standing there going, you brought us out here to die. And they're blaming Moses and they're murmuring and complaining. And then God opens the Red Sea. They walk across on dry ga- ground. And when the Egyptians tried to follow them, what happened? All of Pharaoh's people did the dead man float. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> Pharaoh, Pharaoh, that's hey, Sunday school. If you went to Sunday school, you've heard that song, right? But the point is, God can do things beyond what we could even imagine. There's no way they could have thought the sea is going to open up, but God did it. In this case here, there's no way they could think the ground's going to open up, but God's going to do it because our God is in control 
and we can trust him. Amen? And he is greater than any obstacle you may be facing. It says this in Isaiah 59, 19, when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. So no matter how outnumbered we may feel right now, no matter how it looks in the world around us, that being a Christian in our country right now is probably the least popular time to be a Christian in the history of our country. But if God is for us, who can be against us? And you plus God is a majority. Amen? Now, the final verse here in chapter 13. So if you're the dragon, and whether you mount up this army or water comes flooding, when the ground opens up, how are you feeling about that? Angry. Look what happens in verse 17. And the dragon was enraged with the woman. He's mad at Israel because God protected her. And he went to make war against the rest of her offspring who kept the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, who are the rest of her offspring? I believe that's us. The Bible says that as believers, when we give our life to the Lord, we've been grafted in. Amen? So he is the vine, we are the branches, right? And we are grafted in because we've been born again. And so he's so angry that Israel has been protected. He's going to go after the rest of the Jews that are available to reach, but also the, the people that have gotten saved and have been redeemed during the great tribulation. Now, some people say, well, you know, I'm not so sure about this God thing. So if they're, I'll just wait. And then if there's a rapture and all the Christians disappear, I'll realize, okay, I need to do that. And then I'll give my life to the Lord. Look, can I encourage you with something? Don't wait. Amen. You might get hit by a bus tomorrow. Amen. Don't wait. But also, it's going to be way harder to be a Christian during the tribulation than it is to be a Christian now. Amen. Because in those days, if you don't take the mark of the beast, they'll cut your head off. They're going to persecute you in a way that, and you know what? Believers in those days will make a stand for the Lord. Guys, they're going to stand then. We ought to stand now. We should be ashamed, unashamed of the gospel. The wrath of the dragon is focused against God's people. Unable to destroy Israel, Satan turns his aim toward the tribulation saints, her offspring, and also the Gentiles who've been grafted in, who've come to faith in Jesus during the great tribulation. This continues the fierce persecution of all those that would not submit to the worship of this satanic dictator. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Nebuchadnezzar, remember him? We're going to see him in Daniel. Do you remember what happened? First of all, he had, he had a dream interpreted by Daniel, and he surrendered to the Lord. And then you get to the next chapter, and he builds a golden idol of himself and says, when the music plays, everybody bow, or you're going to go in the fiery furnace. Well, that's called peer pressure. <laughs> the music plays, everybody bows. If you're standing, you stand out. When I used to do prison ministry, I was in uh, Lancaster for years, and they're, they're in the A yard, which is the maximum security yard, most of those people are never getting out, they would tell us, first of all, we could never wear blue or anything that would match the prisoners. They wanted us to wear bright colors, but they would say that when the siren goes off, all the prisoners know to hit the ground, you stand up. You just say standing. We want you to stand out. We want to know where you are. We don't want you getting hit with rubber bullets flying off these other guys we're taking down. So just stand up. Well, guess what? In those days, we had three young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, right? And what did they do? They stood when nobody else would. They were brought in before Nebuchadnezzar. 
Nebuchadnezzar, I just love this picture of him. When I read the Bible, I don't know if you guys do this, I'll read a chapter several times and put my play, myself in the place of each person. What's it like to be Nebuchadnezzar? What do you think? And what are you thinking if you're Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? What if you're the people standing and watching this happen? And I just imagine Nebuchadnezzar because he gets angry. And he tells them, I'm going to give you one more chance to bow. And if you don't bow, you know, I'm going to throw you in the fire. And I love, with the, I love Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Here's what they say. We will not bow. Our God will deliver us. And even if he doesn't deliver us, we will never bow to this golden image. And praise the Lord. Amen. And so then he's throw them in. I just see the, you know, the neck thing popping out right here. Can't you just see? Because he's already slaughtering people and he doesn't like when people oppose him. To me, he's a type, at least in that case, of the Antichrist, right? So here he is. He's got a statue of himself. Everybody bowed. They don't bow. Then they throw him into the fire. And first he says, heat it up seven times hotter. How hot does fire have to be to burn you, right? (laughs) Heat it up seven times hotter. It's so hot, when they open it up, it burns and kills all the soldiers that are throwing them in. And what it is, that's a kiln where you can look through the side, but then you're cast in from the top. So he's looking through the side, no doubt, about ready to rejoice at watching these young Jewish boys being fried. Sound familiar? Satanic? So here's what happens. He looks in. And he said, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? They get thrown in. He looks in and he sees not three bound, but four. And the fourth one in the likeness of? Jesus, the son of God. And he goes from, who is the God that will deliver you out of my hands? To come out, come out, you servants of the most high God. (laughs) See, guys, it's persecution and standing for the Lord that will cause other people to be saved. Guys, we must not be ashamed of the gospel. We must be willing to stand when nobody else will because we have no idea how God will use that for his glory. Amen? And so they stood. And there we have the same thing taking place. Bow to the picture of the Antichrist. And if you don't, it's going to cost you your life. So chapter 12 there, first point we saw last day's enemies who try to thwart God's plan. We saw Satan also referred to there as the dragon, the serpent, the devil. We see his, his attempts to thwart God's plan and everything he does, God heads it off at the pass. He opens up the ground. He makes it stop. He gathers them under his wings. He protects them. Now, chapter 13, here we're going to look at, again, the fourth player in this last day's drama, and that is the Antichrist. By the way, we're going to see it in a minute. He's got a lot more names than the Antichrist, but for whatever reason, the Antichrist, which is only in the Bible five times, and it's only in two verses in 1 John. But for whatever reason, like, that's the name that people grab onto. I mean, like the, the, the movie, The Omen, right? Or stuff like that, right? It's the Antichrist. It's always the Antichrist. And it's got a tattoo, a 666, right? And the whole thing. And everybody's trying to figure out who the Antichrist is. Stop looking for the Antichrist. Look for Christ because he's the one that's coming and will be delivered before the Antichrist is revealed. That's what I believe. Amen. By the way, if you're mid-trib or post-trib, Jesus can't come back today, and you are looking for the Antichrist. People come to me, well, do you think so-and-so is the Antichrist? I don't know, and I don't care, because I won't be here. Can I get an amen to that? (laughs) I'm not worried about it. I'm looking for Christ, not the Antichrist. Amen? People thought thought Obama was the Antichrist. People people just think Ronald Reagan, because all three of his names are six letters. 
So ridiculous. Again, and people are looking for the Antichrist. Let's just keep our eyes looking for Jesus. Amen? So this is an extremely significant chapter, one of the most significant chapters in the Bible. It introduces us to the person known as the Antichrist and clearly a significant player in the Great Tribulation period. Notice what it says there in verse 1. Then I stood on the sand and the sea and saw a beast rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns on his horns were ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. That's real clear, right? We don't even need to talk about that. Y'all got it, right? No. These are signed chapters. First of all, this is John speaking, and John now, from a heavenly perspective, is standing upon the earth in a sense, the land and the sea. He's getting a picture of it all, and the beast comes up out of the sea. Here comes this beast. Here comes this uh, enemy of God coming up out of the sea. And again, while much of the vision in chapter 12 focuses on heaven, now the scene and the vision shifts back to the earth. God expresses the nature and attributes of this beast in his vision. The word beast there is therion. It's a wild animal, a wild beast. It implies ferociousness and brutality. He does not refer to him by any of the references to Satan, the dragon, the serpent, the devil, or Satan. Why? Because it's not Satan. The Antichrist is not Satan. He is indwelt by Satan, you could say. He's certainly possessed by Satan. He's certainly directed by Satan. But the Antichrist is not Satan. The Antichrist, some would debate this. I believe he's a, a man. And here's what I think happens to him. Pastor Day's opinion, okay? Remember when Jesus was tempted, what did Satan do? He took him and he said, all of this can be yours. Just bow down to me and you can have it. I believe he does the same thing with the Antichrist. And when Jesus wouldn't bow, the Antichrist did. He said, I'll bow. You're going you're gonna to give me the earth. You're going to make me ruler over all the world. You're going to give me all the world has to offer. I think that he's going to bow where Jesus wouldn't. And he's going to be given all of those things. But we know it's not going to last for very long. Less than seven years. And, and he is going to be cast into the lake of fire. So the beast is the Antichrist. And we will see... He does have similarities with Satan, but a separate and distinct being. The word antichrist does not, again, mean the opposite of Christ. It means in the place of Christ. The antichrist is an individual who will try to take the place of Jesus. By the way, anything in your life that you have taking the place where Jesus should be in your life is of the spirit of antichrist and you need to stop. Amen? It can be your job. It can be, it can be a relationship. Look, we don't want to put, I, I would say this in all the pre-marriage counseling I do, and every time I meet somebody that's courting to marriage, you want to date, court somebody who loves Jesus more than they love you. Amen? Because if they don't love Jesus more than they love you, you become an idol. Amen? And so, young ladies, older ladies, whoever's dating, you want a man that loves Jesus more than he loves you. Amen? You want a man who will lead you, love you, serve you, lay down his life for you, will be a spiritual leader in your household. A man who's not afraid to work, a man who will provide for you. Amen? 
And you know what? Those should all be non-negotiable. And if you have any questions or concern if he qualifies, Joshua and I got time to meet with the brother. Can I get an amen to that? <laughs> but the point here is that God's plan and what Satan does is he wants to replace Jesus in the eyes of the world. He wants to be the Messiah. He wants to be the Savior. What is Muhammad? He's a false, false Savior. Amen? What is Joseph Smith? A false prophet and a false Savior. Amen? They try to take the place of Jesus. Nothing and no one can take the place of the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the Alpha and Omega, Almighty God, and the Creator of all things. Amen? No one takes his place. No one's close to him. No one can touch him. No one is near him. Amen? But the enemy wants to take his place. Now, if you go back to chapter 12 and you look in verse 3, it, this is speaking of Satan, and it says, And another sign appeared in heaven, behold, a great fiery red dragon, that's Satan, having seven heads and ten horns. Notice that even though the Antichrist is not Satan, he has the characteristics of Satan. What does Satan want to do? He seeks to steal, kill, and destroy. And he wants to be worshipped. That There he is. He wants to be worshipped more than anything. And so when he can't be worshipped, he wants to kill those who won't worship him. And that's why we got to be careful. I mean, people aren't even being shy about their satanic worship anymore. Amen? They're just out front about it. Target had t-shirts for little kids designed by a Satan worshiper for transgender. Stop! We, we, guys, when we see this, we need to recognize it for what it is. Amen? And, we, and we, we stand with the Lord and we don't allow anything to replace him or take his place. But notice he has the same attributes, the seven horns or seven heads and the ten horns. And again, he's not a seven-headed man with ten horns growing out of his head. Horns speak of strength or power. So he's going to be a powerful man. He's going to have power. Doesn't even necessarily mean physical strength, but he's going to have power because people are going to line up underneath him and he is going to be a ruler. Seven heads speaks of the fact that he's going to be hard to kill. He's going to be a man that's going to be hard to defeat, hard to put to death. Because if you, if you, you know, it's just a sign here, but if you struck one of the heads and killed it, he's still got six more in a sense. He's like a cat with nine lives. He's going to be hard to destroy. Now, again, God is in control. Again, before it's over, he's going to die. But while he's ruling and reigning, we're going to see in a few verses here that he gets struck. Most people believe that he dies and he gets back up. And when that happens, even more people are going to want to follow him because it's referred to two more times in the book of Revelation that this happened, people saw it, and they started to worship him. See, he's imitating the only one who died sinless, paid the price for our sin, and rose from the dead and never died again. Amen? There are other people that raised from the dead, but they die again. Amen? Lazarus, others, Tabitha, others, right? They, they raise from the dead, but they die again. And so too will that be the case with the Antichrist. In John 2.18, John spoke of the Antichrist and many Antichrists. There's a spirit of Antichrist. There's a spirit that will one day find its ultimate fulfillment in the Antichrist. So anything we do that opposes Christ is the spirit of Antichrist. So again, 
what's being taught in our schools is spirit of antichrist. Amen? Some of the music you may listen to, dishonoring to the Lord, spirit of antichrist. Amen? So all these things that we look at in the world around us, man, our country needs Jesus. Amen? There needs to be revival. There needs to be repentance. I'm so nauseated by all the stuff they discuss and argue about. Dude, two genders. It's not that hard. Two plus two is four. Not that hard. Amen? God created the male and female. There's 700. Gen- Stop it already. I'm non-binary. We need to pray for them, but it's evil. It's wicked. It's the spirit of Antichrist. Amen? The same is true, though, of fornication and adultery and pride. And everybody's, look at me. You know, we're not supposed to be self-centered. We're supposed to be Christ-centered. It's not about you. It's about him. How many followers do I have? Who liked my page? Who did this? Nobody cares what you had for breakfast, and we're not liking it anyway. Can I get an amen to that? Just stop it. And there's this mentality where it's all about focusing on us when we should hope that they forget who we are and they remember who he is. Amen? Because he's the king of kings and the Lord of lords. And so the world still waits to see the ultimate revelation of the Antichrist. There are little previews of this man and his mission to come. When you go to see the Auschwitz thing, Hitler, do, do they get any evil, more evil than that guy? And you know what? He's, when you think of Germany, you think of Hitler, right? I mean, when, I'm talking about during the World, World War II. And you know, it, it was the Third Reich, but you don't think of the Third Reich, you think of Hitler. And that's kind of what's going to happen with the Antichrist. He's going to have 10 nations that come together. These 10 horns speak of nations, potentially. And these nations will all come together. A lot of people believe it's the European uh, Union that has more than 10 right now, but God can subtract some of those. Some of those can merge. Some people believe that's it because that's where the old Roman Empire used to be. So a lot of people think that's what it will be. But he's going to have this position of authority. He's going to have this position and he's going to be honored. and, And because he's going to bring answers when there are no answers, to some degree, he's going to be worshiped. And when people talk about it, some say that the word for beast means a geographical, ge- geographical nation. And I believe that it's speaking of a man, we'll see that in a minute, it's speaking of a man, but I believe the two of them will be so tied together, just like Hitler and Nazi Germany. Amen? So, the spirit of Antichrist. I mentioned it already, adding or taking away from the gospel, denying the deity of Christ, all the cults, they all make Jesus less and man more. Anything that makes man more and Jesus less is the spirit of Antichrist. Islam, spirit of Antichrist. Hinduism, spirit of Antichrist. Buddhism, spirit of Antichrist. Because it means instead of Christ. Oh, come follow the path of nothingness instead of Christ. Read L. Ron Hubbard's book and let him take you in rooms and shock you when they, when you, when they test your answers instead of Christ. Guys, we don't do anything instead of Christ. Not good works instead of Christ. Not being patriotic instead of Christ. Not doing, you know, things for other people. Guys, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven. There's one way God said to get to heaven and Jesus Christ is the only way. Amen? Now, though he's commonly called the Antichrist, I'm going to stop on this verse. I'm telling you already. Uh, I might get to verse two. Though we commonly call his coming world leader the Antichrist, the Bible has many names for him. In Daniel 7, he's the little horn. In Daniel 8, he's the king of fierce countenance. In Daniel 9, he's the prince that shall come. In Daniel 11, 
He's the willful king. The one who comes in his own name in John chapter 5, and then he's called the son of perdition, the man of sin, and the lawless one in 2 Thessalonians. So on his 10 crowns, Again, on his horn, the horns, he has 10 crowns. This shows, again, that he has a position of authority over these nations. It says this in Daniel 7, 7. After this, I saw in night visions, behold, a fourth beast, dreadful and terrible, exceedingly strong. It had huge iron teeth. It was devouring, breaking in pieces, trampling the residue with its feet. It was different from all the beasts, that, were gone, that had gone before it, and it had 10 horns. So Daniel's vision, the 10 horns, specifically represented the 10 kingdoms of this final world dictator that he has power over it. And again, we'll get more into detail with that. I'm not going to get past this first because it's time. Well, the 10 crowns speak of the Antichrist's authority over the reformation of the Roman Empire in some way. And keep in mind that the Antichrist will rise to power in a time, again, of chaos, uncertainty, unrest, brought on by the rapture of the church and God's righteous judgment upon the earth. They're going to want a world leader. People will be desperate, hoping for someone powerful and influential to unite a divided and contentious nations of the world. Someone to bring hope in the midst of helplessness. Someone to bring security in an unsettled time of apprehension and fear. People will be desperate for a strong, charismatic, authoritative leader to pull the world back from the brink of disaster. Their longings will be fulfilled, again, in this powerful leader people will be looking for, will come and unify the world under his rule. All those things that are described that they're looking for, they can all be found in Jesus. Amen? But they're going to fall for the instead of Jesus. He will turn out to be far more than they bargained for because he's going to bring peace and prosperity for a time. He will be a dictator more cruel and powerful than any other leader the world has ever known. Guys, with men like Alexander the Great and Nero and Genghis Khan and Attila the Hun and Mussolini and Stalin and Hitler, it says something to say he's going to be the worst dictator who's ever lived. Now, all of this just is going to lead into the rest of chapter 13. I don't want to rush it. So read chapter 13 for next week. It's all about the Antichrist. We're going to get more detail on who he is and what he does. But my prayer for us is we do not fall into the trap of getting caught up in the spirit of Antichrist in our own lives. Amen? May we not let anything be more important. May we never lose sight of what really matters. It's our relationship with the Lord. The world we live in today is already caught up in the spirit of Antichrist. It's already caught up in making it all about themselves. Guys, it's not about us. It's about him. Amen? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you. I know this is kind of a tedious chapter, but Lord, it's in your word for a reason. And Lord, I pray for us. Lord, while we, if we're born again and we know you, we will not be here during the great tribulation. But Lord, we're here now. And may we not fall into the trap that they will fall into and during the great tribulation, looking for a man who is the answer looking for a politician, looking for someone who's charismatic, somebody who can come along and solve our problems. Lord, we know that our greatest problem is sin and you solved it at the cross. And Lord, may we not look to anyone or anywhere else, but to the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
We ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray. All God's people said, "You see."